Turn to Matthew chapter 16. You were there a few minutes ago, and we will get there in a few minutes. Just uh, hold your place there. When we formed this church, and then as we reformed back in 2014, both cases, we wanted to make sure that we put in the name of our church the word Bible. We thought that would needed to be an integral part of whatever we called our church. And the reason for that is because everything that we do is founded upon the Word of God. Amen. Nothing we do is outside of what that book tells us to do. I love that book. And I love that book for many, many reasons, more reasons than I could possibly give you this morning. But one of the reasons I love this book is because of uh, the truth that it tells. We are in a society today where truth has taken a hit because of agendas and so forth, and you can't find real truth anymore. You find uh, varied truth and sort of um, uh, filtered truth, but not real truth. Uh, and the reason many folks avoid the truth, and the reason many folks therefore avoid this book, is because the truth can hurt. It hurts. <laughs> if you've ever experienced learning something upsetting about somebody that you were close to or admired, then you have first-hand experience of just how painful the truth can be. And yet, in spite of the pain that it may cause, we need to know the truth. Amen. Folks, you need the truth of the Word of God. We cannot operate our lives the way God wants us to unless we accept the truth that he lays out for us in the Word of God. Uh, you may question this at times, I'm sure, because we all have the flesh talk to us every so often. But John 8.32 is still true. It says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Amen. There's freedom found in real truth. So last week we began a study of, the, of Peter as we're going through each of the disciples. And the reality is, in many ways, Peter's life is made up of a series of mistakes and failures. Peter said the wrong things. Peter did the wrong things. Peter had the wrong motives. Peter made full decisions, uh, foolish decisions. And what you see in the Gospels is the unadulterated truth of Peter's life. I'm sure had God asked Peter, Peter, I want to put your entire life in a book. I want that life to be displayed throughout all generations after you. I'm sure Peter would have probably said, can we do something else? <laughs> do we have to do that? Let's just leave that all out. But the truth shall make you free. Seeing the truth of the word of God is always freeing. In the life of Peter, we're also given the picture of the transformation of a man. Peter was someone who would constantly screw up. But at the same time, uh, that was in the past tense. Because as we saw, as we went through our study last week, Peter became a leader. He became the leader of the apostles. And I thank God that he showed us who Peter was, because in so many ways, I see myself in the behavior and the speech of Peter. But I also see how God transformed him. And Peter, as we have noted, was no one special. He was just an ordinary guy. This is not some special work that God did in Peter's life because Peter was who he was. The fact is, folks, God can do that with anybody. And he will do that for anybody. The glory is not in what Peter was. The glory is what Peter became as he surrendered himself to the control of the spirit of God and allowed God to mold him and make him in a painful process at times into what he became. Peter became one of God's choicest servants. And if he did it for Peter, he can and will and has done it for me. And he can and will do it for you as well. Now, last week, we saw some of the qualities that made up Peter as a leader in, uh, of the apostles. Uh, we saw those qualities that God allowed Peter to develop that made him what he was. Uh, there are other factors as well that we can look at this morning that also help develop him as a spiritual leader, first as a leader with the disciples and then the leader of the first church. What else went into the, fact, uh, into the development of Peter to make him this leader that he became? Well, in addition to the personal qualities we talked about last week, God also used life experience to mold and shape Peter. Uh, there's an old adage that says leaders are made, not born. And that is not exclusively true, but experience plays a great part in making us what we are. There's another familiar adage that says, experience is the best teacher. That is also true. 
but what I've also learned is that experience can be a hard teacher, not an easy teacher. We have a clear demonstration of that in the life of Peter. Peter had a number of ups and downs in his life, a number of events in his life that were traumatic and painful as God tested him and tried him in all sorts of ways while he was walking with the Lord. Now, why did God do that? Why did God put him through that? Why did God put him through all this difficulty? Did God take some sort of glee out of watching Peter go through all that he went through? Well, that wasn't the case at all. God knew that those experiences were the only way that Peter would ever become the man that he needed to be. One of the greatest ways we learn is something that something that is less and less permitted in this day and age. We often learn best by suffering the consequences of the choices that we make. When I'm counseling parents and we, we often discuss the need for them to not step in and cushion some of the consequences that occur as a result of the choices their children make. If a child does not experience the consequence, they'll keep making the same choice over and over and over. We often see ourselves as good parents because we catch our kids before they hit the ground. The exact opposite can be true. Sometimes our kids need to hit the ground. And I'm not saying that's a good thing, but repetitive bad behavior is often the result of a person not being permitted to suffer the full brunt of the consequences of what they chose to do. And so they continue to make the same choice over and over and over. God is a good father. And God, as a good father to Peter, allowed him to experience those consequences, which helped shape him and make him the leader that he turned out to be. I have you here in Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, Peter makes one of the greatest proclamations, confessions that anybody could ever make. And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And if you read on through that, you'll find that. Jesus commends him for that. Look at verse 17. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And he even says later on that the truth that Peter has spoken will be the foundation of the church that God will build. Now go three verses later. He negates everything he says. Again, verse 23, uh, rather verse 22, uh, Peter uh, took him and began to rebuke him. Peter rebuked. The son of God, Peter rebuked the creator of the world. And in verse 23, Jesus Christ says, Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Some of the harshest words Jesus Christ ever spoke to a disciple is spoken there. He calls out, he calls him Satan and says, Peter, you're an offense and you've got fleshly desires and not godly desires. Now, what did Peter learn from that very difficult exchange? Listen to me. Peter learned he could be used as a tool of the devil. Peter learned that Satan could use his tongue just as God could use his tongue. That's what he learned. He learned that if he did not submit himself to the will of God, his own will would take over and he would drift completely out of God's will as a result. And he also learned that Jesus Christ was not at all resistant to standing Peter up when he needed it. Jesus Christ was going to speak truth to Peter, whether he was prepared for it or not. And the next time Peter found himself in opposition to Jesus Christ and actually denied the Lord three times, the only thing Jesus Christ had to do was look at him. (laughs) Just to look. He had to say a word. And I'm sure in that look, all these words came back to Peter and he realized, I've done it again. I've done it again. And the Bible tells us he wept bitterly as a result. But I also believe this. I believe he took the words of Jesus Christ into his heart. He finally got the message. And when Jesus Christ tested him in John chapter 21, he passed the test. Now, I want to tell you something you already know. 
But I want to reinforce it this morning. God is going to put you through some stuff you're not going to like. He's going to put you through some stuff that you're going to have to endure and not enjoy. We want life to be happy and roses all the time. It'd be nice if it is that way. We don't learn that way. We don't learn that way. We learn through trials and difficulties. And you may ask God, what did I do to deserve this? And you may ask God why as you're going through it. And at the end of it all, we need to remember Peter. Peter went through some very difficult things, events that weren't pleasant or enjoyable. But we get to see the end of the story. And we get to see what was produced from those events. And we need to realize that if we want to be disciples, if you want to be Jesus Christ to your world, those events in your life are absolutely necessary. God will take every event in your life, even ones that are a result of your own sinful and foolish choices, and make you look more like Jesus Christ if you'll just let him do it. Just allow him to do it. You may have some regrets in your past. You may have made some horrible choices in your past. Listen to me. Instead of focusing on the regret, why not allow God to teach you and help you learn from those events? I'm not saying it's a good thing to go through those things. I realize some folks made some horrible choices. I've seen some of God's choicest servants come out of horrible times and horrible choices because they learned from them. Why not let God allow God to teach you from those events and bring you closer to him as a result? You see, God can do that. Peter's a testimony to that. That's what God did with him. Now, there's one more factor in Peter's life that made him the spiritual leader that he was. And sadly, it's something that's missing from most of the leaders in our world today. If I were to ask you, what is missing in the leadership of our country? What is missing in the leadership of many churches? What is missing in the leadership of many homes and families that exist today? I believe the one common denominator to all those areas is the factor of character. Character. What we're missing in this day and age is character. Peter had character. What is character? Well, I could go long, long on that. I'm just going to give you a few qualities that make up what character is. Character is integrity. Character is trustworthiness. Character is respectability and unselfishness. It is humility and self-control and courage and self-discipline. All those things make up a person's character. And the reason our nation is declining and the reason our churches are deteriorating and the reason our homes are in disarray is because of a lack of character in the leadership in those areas. Now, in terms of spiritual leadership, we can really condense character into one quality. For a believer, character is Christ-likeness. That is what makes up a believer's character, Christ-likeness. The more we are like Jesus Christ, the greater our character. A true spiritual leader, a believer who is spiritually mature, is one that consistently demonstrates the qualities of Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. He said, be ye followers of me as I am of Christ. And there's the difference. Don't just follow me, Paul says. Follow me as I follow Christ. Paul clearly implies that a leader to be followed is that one who follows Jesus Christ, whose works are conformed to the image of the Savior. And here's something we can't miss in the life of Peter. He grew to be more and more like Jesus Christ as he consistently spent time with Jesus Christ. And we're going to see this again as we continue on through these various disciples. That is a quality that cannot be set aside. Above everything else that developed spiritual leadership in the, in the life of Peter was his intimate, consistent time with the Lord. And we also cannot bypass that step if we want to be servants and spiritual leaders that God wants us to be. 
Now, in case we're skeptical about that, asking ourselves, is it really worth it, worth it to spend all that time with Jesus Christ and develop our character? I want to focus the rest of our time today on the qualities that resulted from Peter just spending time with the Lord. As he just spent time with Jesus Christ, watch what happened to him as a result. First of all, Peter developed the quality of submission. Submission. Now, Peter is not the kind of guy who submits easily. We have seen that over and over. And yet, that's what happened. Now, we may see that as an unusual quality in the character of a spiritual leader. We may think about leadership as a leader requiring others to submit to them and to their ideas and to their guidance. But someone who spends time with Jesus Christ learns that submission is required to those who want to follow him. We must submit to him and submit to those whom he places over us. One who is a follower of Jesus Christ must submit himself or herself to every authority God puts over them. Every authority. Matt touched on that this morning at the 930 hour. Uh, I want you to turn a page over to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. The Pharisees are asking Jesus Christ a question here and asking rather his disciples a question. They're asking if Jesus Christ paid his taxes. Now, Peter affirms that he did, but then wondered if Jesus, as the son of God, was obligated to pay taxes like every human being on earth is required to do. And Jesus anticipated his struggle with this. And so notice the question he asked Peter in verse 25, Matthew chapter 17, verse 25. Uh, verse, look at the end of verse 24. Doth not your master pay tribute? He saith yes. And when he uh, was come into the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon, of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute of their own children or of strangers? He says, Who are they requiring these taxes of, from the children or from strangers? Lotus uh, Peter's response in verse 26, he says, Of strangers. Kings don't tax their own children. Kings tax other people's children. <laughs> and Jesus draws the conclusion for him. Look at the rest of the verse. Then are the children free. What's Jesus saying? I have every right not to pay my taxes. I'm not a child of this system. I'm from another place. He had absolute heavenly authority. However, if he did that, he would be seen as rebellious and would send the wrong message to those who he came to minister to. And so look at verse 27. Notwithstanding, or even though I could, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea and cast an hook and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. Take that and give unto them for me and thee. Peter watched as a son of God submitted himself to human authority. That's an amazing thought right there. Jesus Christ, the son of God on this earth, submitted himself to corrupt human authority, I might add. What did Peter learn from that? First Peter chapter two, verse 13, submit yourselves uh, to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as service of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And he says right in the middle of that, this is the will of God. Obey the authority over you. He said, I don't like them. I don't agree with them. We don't have that choice, folks. The will of God is obey those who have authority over you. Peter learned that as he watched Jesus Christ submit himself to human authority, corrupt human authority. We will never be used by God. I'm telling you, we will never be used by God if we are unwilling to submit to the authority God has placed over us. 
And one of the plagues in our fundamental churches today is the unwillingness of God's people to submit themselves to what God's word says. It's not that they don't know what God's word says. They know what it says. They simply refuse to follow it. And as a result, the churches are splitting and fracturing and going in all directions. They want to do what they want to do. They want their way to be the only way. They want their opinion to count above all others. And they respond in ways that are totally unbiblical as a result. And you can call it whatever you want to call it. But in reality, it is simply rebellion and an unwillingness to submit to God-ordained authority. That's what it is. To be used by God, we must learn from Peter the valuable lesson of submission. That's first. Number two. Peter also developed, or God developed in Peter also the quality of restraint. Restraint. Peter needed that, as we watch his uh, word so often. Uh, we might call this self-control. We might call this self-discipline. My guess is, if you've been employed anywhere or have much of an employment career, somewhere along the way, you've run across a manager or a supervisor who had what is referred to in these days as anger issues. <laughs> They wanted things done their way all the time. And if anybody crossed them, there'd be a full-blown temper tantrum as a result. I had that experience in a past job. I'll tell you, I had no interest whatsoever in following somebody like that. No interest in following that at all. It's very difficult to respect or listen to somebody who can't control themselves. Now, you are aware Peter had a problem with (laughs) self-control. That's not hidden in the word of God at all. Uh, We can look at Matthew chapter 26. I won't have you go there. Matthew 26. The soldiers come to take uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Anybody who had self-control whatsoever would realize, don't pull a sword when there's 600 soldiers around you. (laughs) That's just not a smart thing to do. But that's what he did. Peter was so impulsive, had so little self-control, he never even gave that a thought. He just pulled that sword and hacked off the guy's ear. (laughs) What we've not yet looked at, however, is how Jesus Christ responded to that. Listen to what Jesus Christ said to him in Matthew chapter 26, verse 52. Then said Jesus unto him. Now, this is after he pulled the sword and hacked the guy's ear off. Here Jesus says, put up again thy sword into his place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father? And he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels. But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? That is a rebuke. By Jesus Christ to Peter. And if I could put that in my own words, Peter, Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, get a hold of yourself. <laughs> Every time you make one of these stupid choices, you put yourself directly in the way of what God is doing. You keep complicating the process. And Jesus rebuked him in front of all those enemy soldiers that had watched what had happened. Now, did Peter realize he was out of control and did he correct his approach? Listen to his words in 1 Peter 2 again, this time verse 21. He says, for even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Peter says, I watched Jesus Christ on that cross. And I watched what he did, and I watched someone who had every right to speak up in the face of those accusers and controlled himself and said nothing, restrained himself, held back. And Peter says we should follow in his steps. Now, folks, there's nothing wrong with enthusiasm. There's nothing wrong with exuberance. There's nothing wrong with energy as we do God's work. I wish we had more of that. 
But at the same time, when any of that gets out of control, we run the real risk of interfering with God's work. We must always be aware that it is God's work, not our work, and therefore he must be the one in charge. And we may have fantastic ideas in our minds. We have to pull it back and let God work. Let him do what he wants to do. Otherwise, we put ourselves in the way. We've got to realize we've got to take that zeal and that enthusiasm and place it under the, under the control of the Spirit of God. We must be sure never to fall behind in God's work, but also don't get ahead of him in God's work. <laughs> we must seek his will even when we, in our flesh, flesh, fleshly pride, think we have a better way. I know you never have those thoughts. Sometimes I have those thoughts. <laughs> I know much better than God how to do this. I've got to put that away and say, you know what? God always knows best. He always knows best. Otherwise, what God is going to do is rein us in and pull us back. And listen to me, maybe even set you on the shelf. Because you just keep getting in the way too often. <laughs> he just can't keep stepping over you. He's going to have to put you away so you're not in the way anymore. And to try to do it any other way simply gets in the way of the work God wants to do. Here's the next quality that God developed in Peter. The quality of humility. Humility. Boy, didn't Peter need these? <laughs> Don't you and I need these? Oftentimes, a person is put into a position of leadership. It goes to their heads. They start to believe they're the smartest person in the room and their ideas are better than anybody else's. And when people begin to seek their guidance and praise their decisions and look to them for direction, they begin to believe that they know more than anybody else does. They believe their own press after a while. Peter had a great deal of self-confidence, evidenced by the fact that every time Jesus Christ answered a question, Peter was the first one to jump in and answer. Also evidenced by the fact that Peter was the one who jumped out of the boat when Jesus came walking on the water. In Matthew 26, 31, Jesus informs his disciples, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. What did Peter say to that? So all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Yet will I not offend, he says. Jesus Christ says, you're all going to scatter. And Peter says, not me. I won't. Not me. Everybody else might be offended. I'm not going to be offended. No way. But in Peter's response, you see his self-confidence that he carried with him, a confidence that was misplaced and caused him to say and do some ridiculous and sinful things. And what I see there is that every time Peter acted in his pride, Jesus Christ confronted it and confronted it directly and with force. I read those things sometimes. I almost get uncomfortable with how Jesus Christ talks to him. (laughs) It's almost like, wow, that is so tough. It's so hard. How Peter, how the Lord goes after Peter sometimes. It should remind us of the verse in James chapter 4 and verse 6. The Bible says, God resisteth the proud. God resists the proud. God takes aim at those who are his children and allow their pride to determine their behavior and dictate their responses. God hates pride because pride is what brought the first sin in the Garden of Eden. And so whenever that thing shows up in his children, because he, unlike us at times, knows the destructive consequences of that pride, will confront it directly and with force. Did Peter get the message? First Peter 5, verse 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. He quotes the verse, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Amen. Peter knew exactly what it was like to be resisted by God over and over and over. And as we see Peter minister in the book of Acts, that pride is nowhere to be found, folks. Nowhere to be found. One of the reasons we're doing this series, if the work's going to get done, 
it will get done in spite of us, not because of us. Now, you need to get a hold of that. I need to get a hold of that. (laughs) The only thing that I bring to the table is a willing heart and any gift that God has given to me. And I just surrender those gifts to him. If the work is going to get done, he's going to have to do it. Everything else that happens in this work happens because of him and not because of us. We've got to let go of our pride and set that aside and let God do his work through us. Or we will be resisted by God every step of the way. Set it aside, folks. You bring nothing to the table except a willing heart and surrendered gifts. That's all you've got. And that's enough if you give it to God. And if God, if we will not allow God to break our pride, we'll have to be made unusable. And God will move on from us and use somebody else instead. I truly believe this. Had Peter continued in his pride, you would never hear another word from him, never heard any more about him. He would have made himself unusable. And I know there are well-equipped believers who have faded into oblivion simply because they refuse to let go of their pride. May no one in this room, the speaker included, ever allow our ministry to be destroyed because we think too much of ourselves. Look at the next quality that Peter, that God developed in Peter. Actually, the basis for every other quality we're talking about, he developed in him the quality of love. You probably don't know anybody like this. I've known a few people like this. Somebody in authority had a position of some type and used people to get what they wanted. Now, I'm sure you've never experienced that. I've experienced that a couple of times. <laughs> used people to gain what they wanted. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody in authority who does that. Many people use other people to get what they want. Many people set a goal, and they decide the goal is all important, and they'll plow over whoever they have to plow over to achieve the goal that they set. Now, in the world, that's seen as somebody who is a high achiever. They're seen as somebody who can get things done. That is not how it works with God. In God's work, people are first. People are first. Everything else takes a second second step to people. God values people first. And if we're going to do God's work, we've got to do that the same way. We must value people first. Value them. Now, listen to me. That will only happen as people gain a real love for those they are ministering to. Uh, Jesus modeled that attitude for us in his service to others above everything else that he did. Jesus Christ was in the upper room one night. You remember this. His disciples, he's with his disciples on the night of his betrayal. Only had a few more hours to reinforce to his disciples the principles they were going to operate by after he was gone. And so they're preparing to eat the Passover. In that day, one of the customs before the participants partook of the Passover was for the host to, uh, of the feast to arrange for one of the servants to wash the feet of those who were there before they ate the Passover. On the night of this feast, nobody had arranged for a servant to do that. And the disciples showed no inclination whatsoever that they were going to do that themselves. Here's what the Bible says in John chapter 13 and verse 4, speaking of Jesus Christ. He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wash them and wipe them with a towel wherewith he was girded. Jesus Christ, the Son of glory took the role of the lowest servant, and he himself washed the defeat, the feet of the disciples. I can't even begin to comprehend that. The Son of God, God who created all things, is on his knees before his disciples, washing their feet. Now, if you read the rest of the account, you know what Peter said? 
Lord, don't wash my feet. You're not going to do that to me. There's no way. Until Jesus Christ explained the purpose behind it. And then he wanted Jesus Christ to wash him all over, which was not necessary at all. Peter's response was that he had gotten the message that to do God's work, a person must approach that work out of a love for their people as a servant. Here's how the Lord followed that thing up in verse 34. A new command I give you that you love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. God is going to know that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ by how you love that person next to you. Or that person who comes in the door that you don't know. That's how they're going to know that you're a disciple, when you show love for each other. Jesus Christ showed his love for them by washing their feet. He demonstrated his love for them by humble service. It shows us that being a spiritual leader is not evidenced by how much we can get people to do for us, but rather how much we can do for somebody else. And it's done with no expectation in return. Those disciples couldn't do a thing to return that to Jesus Christ. No way. He did it because he knew that. He tells us a disciple must evidence that kind of love. What did Peter learn from that? First Peter 4, 8. And above all, above all, he says, have fervent Charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. <laughs> we talked about this when we went through First Peter on Thursday nights. That word fervent comes from an English root that means to boil or to froth. It's a glowing passion. What Peter says is, have a burning, glowing, passionate love for each other. At all costs. No matter what it costs you, have that kind of love. No matter whether you're right or you're wrong, love that person as Jesus Christ loved you. Love them. Love them. Love them. We will never do God's work, and I'm convinced of this, unless we love those God has called us to. Unless we love this neighborhood like God loved them. Unless we love that coworker like God loved them. Unless we love that neighbor like God loved them. Unless we love that family member like God loved them. We will never do God's work. Never. We're stopped. I don't know if you've noticed this. People can be difficult at times. I don't know why you're laughing. They don't think like we do. They don't share the opinions we have. They do things in the exact opposite way that we do them. And you're called to serve them. And you're called to love them. They're nothing like me. Love them anyway. Love them anyway. Love them, love them, love them. That's what God says. And the only way that's possible is when we allow God to train us to love them like he loved them. Whether we're speaking of saved people or lost people, we can only serve them when our love for them overcomes any differences or any frustrations that might exist. Hey, when Jesus Christ served on this earth, you know, he served people who were not like him in any way. <laughs> I, nobody else on this earth was God was and they were just sinful flesh and yet because of his great love for them he served them listen to me to the point of dying on a cross for them you want to be jesus to your world for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son love is the foundation for everything else that we attempt to do for him and without that love our ministry will fail let me give another quality that developed in the life of peter the quality of compassion, compassion. 
In Luke 22, 31, he's, Jesus Christ says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he might sift you as wheat. The image Jesus Christ is presenting there is an image of wheat being shaken so all the chaff comes out of it and blow away and only the kernels of wheat remain. In other words, Jesus Christ was going to allow Satan to put Peter to the test as he allowed him to do with Job so that all the incidentals in Peter's life would be removed and only the foundation of his faith would remain. And the next verse that Jesus Christ quotes uh, gives us the outcome of that ordeal. He says, when I, but I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Peter, when this is all done, you are going to have the ability to strengthen your brethren. Give strength to those who need it. You're going to have the ability to strengthen those around you. So as Peter went through this ordeal, he would learn what Paul learned, that God's grace was sufficient. And having that confidence established, he would then be able to give strength to those who would go similar, through similar situations that he was going through. I know how it is, folks, because I've got these same tendencies. I know it's often easier to look past the wounded than to stop and help them. I understand that. And the only way for God to get us to help others is to give us a clear picture of what it's like to have no strength. And he allows Satan uh, or some life experience to put us on our backs so that we can understand what it's like to suffer a real trial. And with that understanding, we support those we come across who have that same trial going on in their life and they need help just like we needed help. Here's what Peter said. First Peter 5, 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after ye have suffered a while, make it perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Peter says this. There's a refining process the servant of God goes through. And he goes through that refining process so that he might become the servant God wants him to be and do the full work that God has called them to do. I said it a minute ago, I know we don't like hearing it, but if you have determined to be a servant of God and be Jesus Christ to your world, there's some rough, tough stuff in your future. It's not going to be easy. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. This world's not getting better. It's getting worse. I don't know if you notice. I'm going to tell you something else. If things go on like they are, there's some tough roads ahead for you and I. And I'm not just saying that because I want to make an impact. I'm saying that because it's true. You've got some stuff going to happen. You've got some prisons in in your future. You've got some torture in your future. Please hear me. If it stays like it is, unless Jesus Christ comes back and takes it out of all this, there's something coming. And you see, compassion for others doesn't come naturally to us. That compassion must be learned. And it's not learned on the mountaintop, folks. It's learned in the valley. It's learned in the valley. And for some, it takes longer than others. But a true compassion for other people, a true understanding of what people are going through, is an essential work that God has set for us. He's called us to it. And listen to me, please. Your flesh is going to fight this. Listen to me. Let your spirit talk now. We must welcome whatever God puts us through, knowing that the purpose of those events is to mold us into the compassionate servants that God wants us to be. And I'm not saying this flip. I'm saying this because this is the attitude we should have. Lord, bring it on. If it's going to make me more like you, if it's going to make me the servant you want me to be, bring it on, Father. That's what I want. Let me give you one more. The quality of courage. Courage. 
Not that crazy impulse to cut off a servant's ear, but rather a mature, settled willingness to suffer for the cause of Christ. I want you to turn to John chapter 28, uh, 21 rather, as we close this morning. John 21. As Jesus Christ tested uh, Peter that day, after the test, he gives him a view into the future. And I want you to see what Jesus Christ says. He's speaking to Peter now. And watch what he says. Verse 18, John 21, 18. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldst. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. You know what Jesus is saying? Look at verse 19. This spake he, signifying that uh, by what death he should glorify God. And when he has spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. Peter, I've got a ministry for you. And you're going to go through this ministry. And if you're going to follow me, at the end of that road, they're going to crucify you. They're going to put you on a cross like they put me on a cross and they're going to carry you to a place you don't want to go and they're going to put you in the ground on that cross. What did Peter think about that? Well, many would just say, you know what, I'm not going to do it. I mean, if you're going to tell me that's what's going to happen, I think I'll just find another path. I might just rethink this whole idea. I might have to renege on what I promised to do. We're not going to turn there this morning, but if you went to Acts chapter 2, you would see Peter preach the most powerful sermon that has been preached in the history of the world. <laughs> that was his reaction. The same courage is evidence in Peter's life from that day forward. What happened to Peter? Peter had developed a security and a faith in God that was no longer shakable. Listen to me, believer, listen to me. The circumstances no longer mattered. It didn't matter what happened around him because in Peter it was settled. And as a result, nothing that he faced from that time on would ever affect him again. I want to read his words. First Peter chapter five and verse 10. But the God of all grace, I read it to you a minute ago, but the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Peter said, I may have to suffer. I'm going to suffer. Jesus Christ said I would. But after that, I'll be perfect, I'll be established, I'll be strengthened, and I'll be settled. Peter had a controlled courage that nothing could shake. Nothing could shake. Folks, Peter was never a perfect person. We will never be perfect people. But if we will allow God to teach us and mold us and sift us, just as he did Peter, we can become the, become the servants that Jesus Christ has called us to be. I want to read you the last words of Peter, First Peter chapter three, Second Peter chapter three and verse eighteen. It says it all. Here is Peter's last words: "But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ." Amen. I'm not going to go long. We get caught up in all kinds of things. All kinds of things distract us and pull our attention away. We get caught up in all, we get caught up in all kinds of silly circumstances and little disputes and all sorts of crazy stuff. Peter, after going through all that, you know what he said? Just grow in the grace 
and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Just do that and let everything else peel off and don't let anything else affect you. Just make your focus and spend your time growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if you will do that, God will use you. Guaranteed. You say, I want to be used by God. There it is. There it is. Just grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and let everything else go. And God will use you. How do I know that? I've got Peter. I've got Peter. God will make you what he wants you to be. God will make you usable. And God will do, listen to me please, and I mean this with all my heart, God will do a great work through you. Submit, surrender, and grow. And God will use you. Let's pray.